I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. As the video just reminded you, we're in a sermon series on image bearers. And today, we go back to the beginning of creation and consider what it means to be made in the image of God. Our scriptural text is Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, and then I'm going to read a related portion of scripture from Psalm 8. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And now this related scripture from Psalm 8, verses 4 through 9, which is really a prayer. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <coughs> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. We live in a culture in which many things are disposable. Can you remember, it wasn't all that many years ago, when often a basketball game would be stopped because a player had lost his contact lens. And then all the players would get down on their knees and search and search. Doesn't happen anymore because they're disposable contact lenses. When a player loses one, no big deal. Just goes over to the bench and pops in another one. Just consider all the disposable things we have in our culture. Diapers have become pampers. Mercy, what a blessing. We have paper plates, soft drink cans, plastic syringes, and shavers. And I have been told that there's even such a thing as a disposable wedding gown. Now, 
we know some of the problems that come from this disposability mania. We are trashing our oceans and our landscapes. And unless we learn to recycle more, we're going to end up choking on our discarded junk. But there's an even more significant disposability issue here in our culture. And this is a tendency to regard human beings as disposable and cheap. Some Americans see unborn babies as disposable if inconvenient. For the past 50 years, the abortion debate has raged across America. And now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, this huge ethical issue has been returned to the states and to us, the people, to decide. Now, we Christians don't need an ultrasound to teach us that an unborn baby is being created by God. We know that from the Bible. I mean, thousands of years ago, God came to Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Most Americans, and especially we American Christians, are searching for a gracious middle ground on this contentious issue of abortion. On the one hand, we are appalled at the thought of abortion on demand. The very idea of destroying an unborn baby just weeks or even days before its birth. Yet we also know that there are some very difficult cases here. Some complicated situations. Uh, and therefore, we hesitate to close that door completely. But... That door has been far too open for the past 50 years. And during that period, Americans have destroyed over 700,000 unborn babies every year. And over 95% of those abortions were done because one or both parents deemed that baby to be inconvenient or too expensive. Yet there are thousands of childless couples out there yearning, praying for a child to adopt. This mass destruction of unborn babies has broken God's heart and must be stopped. The most powerful force against abortion may be love rather than law. And the churches ought to lead this crusade. Every local church should support a loving ministry to women with unwanted pregnancies, offering them emotional and financial support and adoption services. And we should do this because we know that both the mother and the unborn baby are incredibly precious. And then on the other end of life, sometimes old sick people are regarded as disposable. The late, late Dr. Jack Kevorkian provided physician-assisted suicide for some 130 patients. And in a recent year, in the Netherlands, physicians injected lethal doses of morphine into over 6,000 sick elderly people. Are we saying, is our culture beginning to believe that elderly people with disease are 
disposable? Or is there something fundamentally different about human beings that make that very thought wrong? The therapist Norman Wright says it's not just the unborn babies and the elderly sick people who are regarded in our culture as disposable. He says that we are raising a generation of people who feel disposable, unworthy, unlovable. Many children from divorced backgrounds mistakenly believe that they were responsible for breaking up their parents. And then there are some uh, victims of abuse who irrationally believe that they deserved the abuse they received. And you know, whenever we don't feel worthy, when we feel unworthy, unloved, we don't take care of ourselves. We eat too much or drink too much or work too much or order dangerous drugs online. And there are some young people who starve themselves thinking, if I can just get thin enough, I'll be valued. What a shame. And then some people get so desperate and, so, and feel so unworthy, so unloved, that they begin to have suicidal thoughts. And at that point, they need immediate medical attention. Now, is there a cure for this terribly distorted view of ourselves that is running in our culture? Yes, there is, thank the Lord. And it begins by understanding who we really are. And in order to do that, we need to go back to the dawn of creation. When the Lord brought this world into existence. And uh, return with me now to the sixth day or era of creation. The reason I say or era is the Hebrew word in Genesis for day can also be translated era, and I happen to prefer that. On the sixth day, or era, it was the climax of creation, and God grabs a handful of clay, and you can imagine with, with a gleam in his eye, he says, ah, now I'm about to create a creature that is going to be different, gloriously different. This one is going to be like family more like me than the animals. And so, God created man and woman in his own image. And notice that God is spoken of in the plural here. The Bible says, God says, let us make mankind. Uh, who does us represent? Obviously, our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God, all present at the dawn of creation, all part of the creation. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? It does not mean we look like God. No. God is spirit. We are finite beings. It does mean each of us is a reflection of God. A reflection of God. What are the signs that we're made in the image of God? Well, one right off the bat. Our ability to reason, to create, to build. Just think. What mankind has done, we literally move mountains. We channel great rivers to create electricity. We have split the atom. We invented the computer. Yes, and we visited the moon. Now, none of that surprised God. God knew the abilities he gave us, and he knows the limits of those abilities. 
I don't think God is surprised uh, at how far we've come. I think he's rather impatient that we haven't come up with more. I think God must wonder, you know, and he may be saying to us, you know, if you spent less time making war and less resources training people to loaf rather than work, you could have conquered cancer by now. Get on with it. Our minds are incredible computers. But sin has tainted those computers because, yes, we have created great cathedrals and churches and uh, hospitals. But we have also created nerve gas, biological weapons, and, yes, fentanyl. A second evidence that we are created in the image of God is our conscience, our conscience. You know, if you let your house cat out in the backyard and that cat happens to encounter a baby blue jay that has fallen out of its nest, you will see no signs in your cat of a conscience qualm as he or she gobbles up that baby bird. And yet when you're out on the road, and you happen to hit a bird with your car, don't you feel a little conscience qualm? Sure you do. To the best of our knowledge, we're the only species on earth that has struggles about right and wrong. Surely this is a sign we're made in the image of God. Now again, we've got to admit sin has influenced and tainted our conscience too. We have the diabolical ability to rationalize Almost anything, no matter how wrong. Everything from adultery to murder. And we humans, despite our consciences, are the most dangerous creatures on earth. A third sign we're made in the image of God is our longing for eternity. Deep in our heart, deep in our soul, we know we are transients here on earth. This is not our final home. We know that. All of us have a concept of eternity. Some are longing for it. Some are terrified by it. But nobody can ignore it. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. And a final evidence of our being made in the image of God is our capacity for fellowship with God. There's a God-shaped hole in our soul that nothing and nobody can fill except God Almighty. And there is a place in God's heart that nobody but you can fill. So, God made us in his own image. And that's what it means. And at the same time, he gave us gifts, the Bible says. Let's look at those gifts first. God gave us a task. You know, he meant us to work rather than loathe from the very beginning. And he commanded Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. Now we know some of the details about life in the Garden of Eden, not all of them. But it seems that man's work there was easy, even delightful. God provided bountiful crops for the feeding of all his creatures. It seems that farmer Adam did not have any problem with weeds or insects. Adam named all the animals and was at peace with them. Adam and Eve were God's stewards in the Garden of Eden. 
But later, when sin came into our world, man's task became harder. And ever since then, Satan and his forces have done battle with the kingdom of God. As Martin Luther's famous hymn declares, our striving would be losing were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. So our task is still the same. The one given to Adam and Eve, it's the same. To bring this world under the reign of God, even as we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God gave us a task. Second, God gave us gender. The Bible tells us that male and female, he created them. Adam, the man, was created first. Eve, the woman, was created second. Someone has guessed that when God got through creating Adam, he looked him over closely and he said to himself, I can do better than this. <laughs> and so he created Eve. Now that's not in the scripture. It's just a supposition. God ordered Adam and Eve to multiply, be fruitful, fill the earth. He even invented a way they could multiply. Yes, God invented sex. Can you believe it? Isn't God good? King Solomon paid tribute to the love between a husband and wife when he wrote, You have stolen my heart, my bride, with one glance of your eyes. Today in America, much publicity is given to gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria. Some children and adolescents are not comfortable with their birth gender. And we Christians should have compassion and understanding for them. And we should provide counseling if it's requested. But the Bible never suggests that gender is fluid or a social construct. It's a gift of God. And when adolescents are subjected to puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones or body-altering surgery, the results are often tragic. And surveys have shown that at least 80% of adolescents who are uncomfortable with their biological gender grow through that phase in their lives and later affirm the gender they were born with. God does not make mistakes. He created us male and female. And then God gave us a third gift, a blessing in verse 28, we read, God blessed them. Now, we're not told all the details of that blessing or those blessings, but we presume that God gave them all the necessary abilities to be his stewards over the entire earth. Now, I love that word steward. I love it. Uh, our church council years ago used to be known as the board of stewards. The word steward means to be a caretaker over somebody else's possessions. It reminds us that this is God's world and Jesus Christ is the head of the church and we are God's stewards. In later centuries, God gave his blessings in different forms to other people, to Noah, to Abraham, and to others. And then through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he gave the ultimate blessing. And St. Paul described that ultimate blessing in these words. He, Christ, 
redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's you and me, through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promises of the Spirit. So, what I've declared to you this morning is what the Bible says, that God made us in His image and gave us gifts, a task, a gender, and a blessing. Now, what does that mean in practical terms? How can we appropriate that in our living? What does it teach us about going out into the world next week? First, it means that a, each person, each person, everyone is incredibly precious. God does not create trash or disposable people. Nobody is a mistake. God has a good plan for every person. That dope addict who will spend tonight in Oliver Gospel Mission, downtown Columbia, is worth more in God's sight than all the bank deposits in Columbia. Why? Because he is made in God's image and Jesus Christ died for him. One of the most profane statements that any person can ever make is this, I am not worth much. That's, that's blasphemous, blasphemous. That, that denies God's creation and Christ's sacrifice. And if you treat yourself in a trashy way, you insult your creator. Human worth, our human worth, is not based on our achievements, our possessions, our attractiveness. No, no. It's based on who we are, a creature made in the image of God and one for whom Jesus died. You are special and don't you forget it. God can help you redeem any failure, overcome any tragedy. He has a wonderful plan for your life and he wants to fellowship with you for all eternity. And friends, that's the good news. Here's a second truth about being made in, in the image of God. Though God's image in us is blurred by sin, it can be restored through Jesus Christ. Even though sin has dulled our receptivity to God, there's something within us that yearns for God like a, a, a drowning man longs for air, like a shipwrecked sailor longs for the sunrise. We have a deep feeling of spiritual homesickness, but many people don't know the way home. And so we wander around taking one wrong term after another. Our loving God saw his wandering lost children and he had compassion on us. He came to us in the form of Jesus to show us the way home. And all we have to do is admit we're, admit we're lost. And trust in that Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then suddenly and miraculously, the Holy Spirit leads us home. And then the Holy Spirit begins to retrace the image of God in us. Across the years, often when I've been teaching young people, and I'm trying to make the point with them about how special they are, I sometimes use an object lesson. A $20 bill with Andrew Jackson's picture on the front. 
And since children and youth seem to be able to understand this lesson, I'm going to take a risk of believing that adults can too. I show this $20 bill to the young people and I say, okay, how many of you would like to have this? Just raise your hand. All the hands go up. <clears throat> then I say to them, okay, what if I do this to it? Do you still want it? All the hands go up. Then I say, what if I trample on it like that? Do you still want it? Yeah, the hands go up again. Then I say to them, what if I rip that bill right in two? Do you still want it? And then there's a division. Some hands go up, but others, oh, not so sure. And then I say to them, the only one who can say with authority what this $20 bill is worth is the one who made it. And that's the Treasury Department of the United States government. And the Treasury Department has declared that if you bring 51% or more of this bill to a bank, even if it's been abused, used, stole, sold, and trampled on, the bank will give you $20 in any form you want it. And then I say to the young people, the one, the only one, who can say what you are worth is the one who made you. And that's God Almighty. And he has declared what you're worth and he caused it to be printed in the Bible. And God Almighty says that even if you've been sold, abused, and stomped on, his evaluation of you has not changed one bit. God has even hung an invisible price tag around your neck. And you want, you want to know what it says? Look to the screen. You're priceless. Why are you worth more than all the bank deposits in Columbia? Because you were made in God's image and his son died for you. You are priceless. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen, let us pray. Oh God, forgive us when we treat ourselves or others as disposable. Restore to us your evaluation of us. Remind us that you evaluate us not on the basis of our possessions or attractiveness or accomplishments. You value us because we are made in your image and your son, Jesus, died for us. Remind us that we are priceless through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.